With Sound of Play, we bring you an eclectic fortnightly mixtape of some of our and your favourite pieces from the many sublime and ridiculous video game soundtracks we've enjoyed and endured over the decades. Bit of a special uh, one this time again on Sound of Play because joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 26 is composer Dan Rodriguez. Hello. Hi, Dan. Um, and that that first piece we, we heard there opening the show is one of your own. And this is from Get Off My Lawn. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, an interesting little title, uh, Digital Leisure. It was a cool game to work on for sure. And that's uh, available on Steam and it's free to play. And uh, I, I must admit, I haven't played it, but it looks like they've sort of twisted the Plants vs. Zombies idea. It's, it's a bit tower defense. It's a bit back gardeny, but you're kind of shooting shooting uh, aliens as they're coming down the down the tracks to, uh sort of yeah down furrows towards you yeah totally i mean it, yeah it does kind of play on that you know uh, old man sitting on the porch with a shotgun sort of cliche in a fun way you know and i mean the cool thing about writing the music for that game was they wanted it to be interactive depending on the game state oh, great. um yeah. yeah which which i really like i mean that's actually one of the reasons i got into writing more music for games as opposed to sticking with the, the advertising and television work I was doing in the past. Yeah, see, interactive, adaptive music is something that's been kind of a holy grail for a very long time. I remember the first reviews of uh, Secret of Monkey Island 2, or Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge, mm -hmm. back in 1991, 2-ish, and they were all talking about Lucasfilm Games' uh, Immuse system, which was one of the first attempts at uh, creating a... a uh, music that would segue blend from one location to another rather than just you know the crashing you know either a quick fade out or just a quick crashing change into something else so um, and I think it's something that still a lot of uh, games perhaps don't use as well as they could but then I guess from your point of view it's is it harder to compose something like that or do you just you compose the piece you know and you have like an urgent state and a less urgent state or a moody state and then you let the games programmers kind of put it in how they want to. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to be involved as much as I can on the implementation yeah. side, um, just to make sure that things, you know, are, are really smooth. It, it, you know, when I'm writing the music, I'm trying to think of, um, yeah, definitely getting that emotion across. I mean, for instance, um, this uh, Alien Porch Crawl that we just heard, it's that it's about a two and a half minute arrangement mm. and it goes through all of the different layers and there's about eight layers of intensity. Yeah. And then by the end, it returns back to just that, that string chamber section that we heard at the very beginning, just so that you can get a sense of how, um, how dramatic that change can be. So is it more difficult? Um, yeah, in a way for sure, because you have to think about all, you can't just add another layer of sound on top of a pre-existing layer and say, okay, now this is more intense. You also have to rejig that pre-existing layer. For instance, say it was a chamber string section like we had there. Um, they have to be playing a little bit more intensely as well. You know what I mean? They have to play a little bit, they have to dig in a little bit harder. Mm. And then by the time we're at that top layer, you know, they're probably in, in spread out octaves and really playing as hard as they can, right? It's not simply that, that, that same layer from the first section if you're doing it properly. So it does take a little bit more time to make sure that all the players in your ensemble are, are digging in harder by that, you know, more intense layer. Sure, and you know you've got serious alien problems when the theremin starts. That's oh, he's game, game over at one that of point. One great rules of life. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about your background and history uh, as we go on, but uh, sure. we've brought some of your tracks, or you've brought, these are all your picks, um, and you've also brought some uh, tracks that you like from uh, other folks' work. Um, right. These are some of your peers and contemporaries and friends um, and uh, and just music you like from, uh, I don't know if these guys are all, because you're, you're, uh, you're one of the, the Toronto scene, if we can call it that. Um, sure, yes. We, uh, we've recently uh, run a series of interview articles on our website, canorince.com, with uh, Dames Making Games, Jim Munro and the Hand-Eye Society, and Can Gao, um, cool. as our intrepid Ryan Heyman went and interviewed all of those guys. So, awesome. uh, And also Dennis Dyack, who's obviously not exactly part of that scene, but he's a Canadian who contacted yes. us out of the blue, much like you did, and, and asked to come on. So this is, this is our time. We are in cahoots <laughs> with the Canadian. Awesome. We are we are honorary, um, but here you've brought a piece by a, a, a guy I don't know. This is Brian Gare. Is that the pronunciation? Brian Gare. That's right. Mm. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's relatively new to uh, the Toronto game scene, but me and Brian go back a long ways. Actually, we uh, we wrote for advertising for a number of years together. Okay. Um, so he's a seasoned veteran when it comes to producing high quality music, but, um, he's really just starting to break into, uh, the game scene. And I'd like to feature him essentially because he knocked it out of the park with this devil's doom score. Like mm. it, it's really great. So this is from, uh, an iOS and Android game, a very new game by Rungo, uh, 2015 game called devil's doom. And, uh, what is it you particularly like about this piece before we hear it? Well, he's, I mean, Brian's ability, uh, at orchestration, he's just, he's really great at the orchestral mock-ups. Um, he actually made a suite of all of the music for Devil's Doom um, for me so that I could feature it. And um, nice. it's just, it's really adventurous harmony. He goes through a lot of different motifs, really takes you on a journey. It's, mm. uh, you know, my favorite part about any piece of music is does it feel programmatic? Can I close my eyes and basically um, see a story unfold in front of me? You know, and I really feel like this almost sounds like it could have been in Fantasia. You know, it's got a lot of yeah. dynamics. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's just a really good um, piece of music that that takes you on quite a journey. It's really all I can say about it. I just thought it would be a great addition.
It's atmospheric, and also, um, as with uh, your first pick of your own tracks, actually, there's, um, and uh, this I mean this as a huge compliment, um, there's elements of uh, Danny Elfman and um, Grant Kirkhope in, in those pieces as well, I would say. Oh, thank you. The great rare uh, composer, of course, <laughs> uh, who we may have on, we may try to get on this, this very podcast one day. Oh, brilliant. I'll keep my ears peeled for that. Yeah. Um, so you can follow Brian on Twitter, at Brian Gare, and he has a BrianGare.com uh, website as well and check out mm-hmm. his other works a question I have regarding working on uh, iOS and Android games um, I think you've mostly done PC and console stuff so far is that right um, uh, yeah a few parts. Android a few okay. Android titles yeah my question is um, now a lot of people I think when they're playing um, phone mobile games mm-hmm. um, don't necessarily you know see them playing on commutes and whatever they don't always put their ears in they, right, know, sometimes right, yeah. they that, that must be kind of knowing that a lot of people are going to play the game in silence is that is that frustrating or do you think assuming that people will listen to it at least once do you think you can encourage people to to you know put their earphones in and right. uh, and in, immerse in the whole game experience well, I mean, that, that's always the hope for sure. And you know that it's going to happen. It's, I mean, the mobile market is definitely one of those things that it's, it's very tricky. I mean, especially frequency wise, you know, lots of people are listening on those small little buds or even if they're just yeah. playing casually, not on a train and, and they don't have headphones in, yeah. uh, you have to be really careful about, um, certain frequency ranges and making sure that, you, you know, some, some sound effects aren't just going to hit you in the ear like an ice mm, pick. Right. And, uh, you know, I could, I guess as long as you don't have any of that stuff in your game where it kind of forces them to turn off the audio, cause they're like, no, I, I can't listen to this. That one sound effect of me dying is just killing me and I can't, <laughs> yeah. I cannot listen oh, yeah. to this anymore. Yeah. And that, that does happen. And I've played games where that's happened. Definitely. Um, is it is it frustrating? Uh, I I don't I try not to think about it. <laughs> I like to let them you know if they like the music and they like the game they like the audio and they listen to it from time to time then you know I I can uh, I can deal with it if they don't put in their headphones on a on a busy train or something like that. That's fair enough. I suppose the philosophy of composing games has changed quite a lot in this regard because I'm thinking back. This is a bit of a, a, a cliche uh, for me to say this, but I grew up with arcade games in the arcades in the early 80s uh, onwards and of course um, once music started becoming a real factor with arcade games the attract mode was was one of the things that these machines used to get your attention so Mm -hmm. Uh, famously, you know, a machine like, say, Daytona would be blaring out with this amazing, <laughs> crazy Japanese, you know, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. it was all about, you know, the, the cranking that up and getting it heard above the incredible hubbub cacophony of the arcade. Right. And your compositions for something like an iOS or Android game, it's not like people are walking into a showroom full of games. They're going to the app store. And That's so right. You have to kind of, yeah, you, you're not advertising yourself in the same way. So, it must be, yeah, it's kind of hard to get the word out in a sense that you've got, you know, you've picked some great pieces from Android and iOS games, but I, uh, maybe it's a kind of underappreciated scene of composition. Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, I'm, I've never really thought of it that way, but but yeah, it's it's one of those things. I mean, you're always sort of banking on the title itself being popular and, yeah. then, and then your music coming as a, as a you know, positive added bonus that people also enjoy playing um the game because of the music it's uh something that yeah I, um 
I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. To be perfectly honest, it's uh, I I would like to, um, it, you know, it's nice to write really solid music um, for any game that you're working on, of course. Um, but you you always run the risk of spending a long time on a title that never sees the light of day because the game's not really. Uh, as as it doesn't turn out as good as you may have hoped or doesn't have the same sort of PR push as another title and your music kind of falls into obscurity and it's all part of just working on titles and building your repertoire and getting experience and and that's about it I guess. Yeah, and sure and you've said um I've read a couple of interviews uh, mm-hmm. with you on uh VGMO and uh film and game composers um and you said that uh, you've been lucky in that you've actually managed to, for quite a long time, and you're still a pretty young man, you've managed to uh, be able to put yourself in a situation where you are composing for something, like, every day. Um, right, yeah. New, whether it's a, a short film or a TV commercial or, or a game, um, you've, you've carved that niche for yourself. And I mean, how does someone go, around do it, go about doing that? Now, obviously, talent. Is, is a factor, but sure, yeah. But there, but there might be like an actual strategy that you could employ to to turn it from a you know a hobby to right. know, to a full time career. Well, especially this day and age, it's it's really difficult. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, I guess ushered in by all the post secondary schools having music programs and film scoring programs, and the fact that you can produce music really cheaply on a computer these days. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people who who want to write music and. And, you know, obviously globalization with the internet and trying to get out there. There's a lot of people who are trying to show what they can do. And there's a lot of amazing talent out there. Um, but I think what what people are lacking in these days in terms of actually finding the work and having a sustainable career is is the FaceTime. You know, mm-hmm. you got to have FaceTime. You got to get in front of the people who are hiring people. And I know... Like when I got back from school and I was really green and I didn't know what to do, I went back to teaching guitar lessons and and gigging. And, uh, you know, uh, it was the reason I went back to school to begin with was that that wasn't really, you know, going to pay all my bills. So, yeah, I had to get the FaceTime in front of people. I had to go and have beers with the the producers at uh, music production houses and go to video game jams and video game networking events. Um, there's a couple here in the city. There's uh, Torontaru in Toronto on, a, I think, the first Wednesday of every month. And then the last Wednesday in Hamilton, there's one called Game Dev Drinks. You just get together with developers and you just yeah. you just have a good time. You just have drinks and, and talk, talk about what you're working on. And the FaceTime is super important because the internet, when it comes to finding work, especially in games, it's, it's a C and it's really hard to uh, stand out course you have qualifications um your your love of music as a as a youngster uh, led you to uh, study jazz and classical uh, at yeah. uh, at mohawk in ontario that's um, right yeah. and i mean jazz and classical perhaps to a lot of people two of you just assume two of the most complex and difficult and also not necessarily similar um you know mm-hmm. uh, genres of music my i come from a jazz background because my granddad was a professional jazz pianist oh cool um he was self-taught though um and uh and i think he would have he would have been petrified at playing classical but equally some of his uh musicians who he jammed with uh you know clarinet players and that sort of thing came from a classical background but they were in awe of his jazz skills his ability to improvise his mm-hmm. ability to just uh you know take 
take a tune, uh, take a take a key, uh, a, you know, a, a sequence of of chords and turn it into a you know a, a long workout. Um, yeah, just so, interpret a lead sheet and make it yeah, happen. Yeah, exactly. But so yeah. you you've got this background in jazz and classical, um, but yet we'll hear throughout this the the tracks you've chosen for us that you can turn your hand to many genres. Let's say. Yeah, I mean, musically speaking, I never really never really pigeonholed myself growing up you know like i the radio i mean i listened to the radio i listened to what was popular at the time but um it's funny i mean when i was driving friends home after school they'd be like what are you listening to like, wow well, this is medicine man by bobby mcferrin or this is a ravel's daphnis and chloe or something like that you know i would always have different things in my car playing because in all honesty it just never really appealed to me to uh, listen to top 40 all the time mm. And then that that came across in my practicing habits as well. You know, I, uh, you might get tired, you know, practicing body and soul and souling over two five ones all day long. And then you may just want to sit down with uh, some bossa nova stuff, learn how to play um, certain flamenco techniques on the guitar and just try and uh, diversify, you know, it was just a, a sort of a sponge for that kind of a thing. And luckily it came across in, in a lot of my writing too. So speaking of this diversity, uh, the quote that is uh, around, around your uh, Runbow soundtrack, which is mm -hmm. um, perhaps the most contemporary game we have here, uh, recently, very recently released on uh, Wii U, 13am game. That's right, yeah. Uh, Multiplayer-focused uh, crazy em up um, <laughs> uh, Your quote is, we started with a mix of jazz, Afro-Cuban blues, bossa nova, cinematic surf rock. <laughs> then everything <laughs> gets turned on its head on side B and remixed for more intensity. Um, and while we might hear little uh, aspects of all, the, of all of those genres within this, this is uh, this track we're about to hear is called Bed Knobs and Glow Sticks. And uh, the, it's a great pun, but also there's an allusion there with glow sticks to the genre that perhaps it's most obviously within, which is kind of rave, really. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, it's I mean, when I wrote that one, initially, I was thinking of all the, you know, um, TV shows I used to watch as a kid, all the spooky ones, Scooby-Doo, Beetlejuice, Tales from the Crypt, Adam's Family, mm -hmm. things like that, and trying to get that across. And then uh, when we remixed the track, it was really just a matter of, yeah, basically, what would this sound like if we were in a rave? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, I got to give credit to Dave Proctor for the title of that track. Uh, that was his very clever pun. <laughs> it is a good pun. Um, so how did, uh, how did you get involved with 13AM Games? Well, uh, like like we were talking about before, actually, it was at a game jam. Yeah. So essentially, have like have you guys talked a lot about game jams in the past? Uh, not not a great deal. Um, we obviously we're aware of them, um, and uh, we're we are uh, a friend of our show is uh, Adam Capone, aka Peter Molyneux, who of course uh, created that character who you know who is now the the subject of a game jam so we certainly have some uh we touch upon the, the game jam world but it sounds like um an incredibly sort of exciting and dynamic environment oh yeah it's, it's, especially for an audio guy because yeah. you can show up as one audio guy uh within the entire game jam you know i remember the last one I did, which was where I met 13AM Games, it was in 2014, um, there was only a handful of audio guys there and there was a ton of teams making games. I did 13 games that weekend and it was, yeah, it was awesome. It was great. People would just come, we need, we need to 
we need a 30 second loop for this. We need sound effects for this, this, and this. And then while you're working on that, five other people would show up and you're just scrambling to get everything done. And it was awesome. You got 48 hours and we yeah, cranked out, you know, 13 concepts for games in, in, uh, in 48 hours. It was great. And I suppose, uh, I don't, don't want to get you know too much into the nuts and bolts, but I suppose from your point of view, as well as just the sheer joy of doing that, there's also, there's an exposure that comes with it because presumably you're not going to make money from that in, in itself, but you, you, you'll end up with your name as a composer on a whole no- load of bits of software. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really the most important part of having that FaceTime, right? I mean, yeah. going to game jams, that's really the best way to do it. I've pretty much every game I've been a part of has been uh, mostly has been from going to game jams and just meeting people, you know, okay, let's take a break for lunch. Let's go have a drink over at the watering hole on the corner and just chat about what's going on, what this game is all about. And it's really a great, a great way to, uh, introduce yourself to developers, especially up and coming developers. Yeah. Okay. Without further ado, uh, let's hear it. White gloves on glow sticks, a lot <laughs> bed knobs and glow sticks by Dan Rodriguez.
Dan, when you are composing for a game like Runbow, uh, which is out now on the eShop for Wii U, <laughs> yes, oh yes, uh, oh yes, else as yet, but you know, <laughs> I know how these things work. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Rumbo, and I realize you can't announce anything or say anything that you may know, probably, but um, right. <laughs> my, my suspicion is that uh, games that only come out on Wii U uh, eShop are extremely rare and they normally tend to end up appearing on PS4 and Xbox One. I'm just saying, and Steam, right. But, <laughs> But um, when, you're, when you're composing for a game like Rumbo, now obviously you need to know what the game looks like, the feel of the game. Um, right. How much do you actually like, play the game? Do you play the game a ton or are you watching videos or just seeing design documents or how does that, how does that work? That's a good question. I mean, like 13AM Games would invite me down to the studio and we would chat. I'd watch them play the game. I'd get a chance to play it myself and see what's happening. Uh, but the bulk of it, you know, I would ask them for art assets I say anything you can give me, they would send me a video of them playing. Even if it was just them, you know, all the computers are taken in the office. So one guy got on the on the game pad with an iPhone and just recorded himself playing something quickly just for inspiration. You know, uh, it's definitely helped me to make sure that the experience between the gameplay and the music was really intertwined just by having as much exposure to it as possible. And, uh, yeah, I suppose also uh, com- composing, I assume, for you generally is a solitary pursuit, uh, unless you're at a game jam. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, I guess generally across the board, it's usually a pretty, pretty lonely place, my studio. <laughs> so you you've got a – but with a game like Rumbo, it's, it's so much about the social side. Um, I suppose you just have to put yourself in a mindset of, you know, what, what you would want to be hearing if you were playing this with three other people trying to kick each other off the platforms or whatever. In this <laughs> yeah, game. exactly. I mean, I, I did have people in the studio from time to time. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a saxophone player come in. Um, I played a lot of live parts myself too, but, uh, it was important to have some people come in and, um, and take part in the, in the recording process. But yeah, and there was a lot of back and forth as well too, with Dave Proctor and Alex Rushdie from 13 AM, I would send them stuff. They would give me their feedback. We'd go back and forth. They'd even plug it in the game and play it and uh, see how it's feeling for them. Um, there wasn't a lot of back and forth though. It was actually, um, I find actually with indie developers in general that the back and forth is a lot less than I experience in ad and TV land. Right, right. That's interesting. Speaking of saxophonists, uh, we featured one on our recent Sound of Play 25, the last Sound of Play two weeks ago, um, Insane in the Rain. From, oh, nice. uh, he has his uh, YouTube channel uh, on which he uh, makes these absolutely gorgeous uh, reinterpretations of video game mm. uh, music, and uh, there's a lot of lead sax on there. So yes, we've we've long ever since we started Sound of Play, uh, we've long been bemoaning the lack of saxophone in video <laughs> game music. Um, I think it's I think it's a growing area. Uh, well, there's a lot of it in Runbo. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, and Rumbo, I wanted to say, um, I uh, always make it clear uh, for transparency, I've not been asked to promote this game in any way, right. um, but this is for information purposes. Um, the game is out there now, and it currently has an 83 Metacritic score, which is very healthy, 24 positive reviews, six mixed reviews, no negative reviews. Um, and yeah, it sounds like one to check out for people who, I mean, I, I believe they did in the end incorporate online multiplayer, yep. Um, yep. and I'm sure that will really come into its own 
on the the uh, other consoles should it ever arrive on those and um but for those who really love as we do we love to promote as well as cana rinse the uh, the the long long life the longevity of local couch multiplayer because uh, really you know for many of us it's the best times we ever had and it sounds like rumbo is a game that is all about that experience so um, and yeah, don't shout too much because you won't be able to hear Dan's music. <laughs> hopefully, it'll uh, complement your experience. No, it's a lot of fun. I love playing. Uh, I mean, I've played it with three, four people. I've played it in, with all nine people once, and it's it's a blast. It really is a lot of fun to play. They wow. did a good job of putting it together. Nine is is that what it offers up to nine players? Up to nine players, yeah. Crikey, yeah. that sounds like mayhem, carnage. It, it is total carnage. Yeah, <laughs> super. On to something very different now. Um, now, Jim Guthrie is uh, somebody we featured before um, mm-hmm. on this podcast, uh, and for good reason. Um, yes. We covered uh, the game Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP back on the main podcast in issue 47 some years ago now. Um, but uh, the music uh, for all of us on that podcast was a huge part of the experience of Sword and Sorcery. And, uh, yeah, you've, you've selected Lone Star from Sword and Sorcery. Uh, what's, uh, what's it about this one that you particularly enjoy? Honestly, it's just got a really great hooky melody. Mm. It's just instantly compelling. It just it, it manages to draw you into the experience. Everything Jim does actually has this very handmade, organic feeling. And even when he's doing a lot of sort of techier things, choppier editing, um, I actually have all of his albums. And I, I saw him... Uh, at a local event here called Bento Miso and I picked them all up and I've been listening to him. He's, he's just, he's a great artist. I just really love his work. But that hook, I mean, when it comes in, it's sort of, it's very monothematic. It repeats that idea a lot and it's just really warm sounding, instantly compelling. Like I said, it just, he did a great job on this track in particular. Thank you. 
Jim Guthrie there from Super Brothers, Sword and Sorcery EP, as we like to call it, uh, by <laughs> the amazing Capybara Games, who we love, uh, and, of course, Super Brothers. Uh, that's been available for some years now, since 2011-2012 time, on your home computers and mobile devices. Uh, you can follow Jim Guthrie at Jam Pants on Twitter, and, of course, he has a band camp, uh, jimguthrie.bandcamp.com. I noticed that um, most of the artists we feature, uh, and all, certainly all the ones that you've brought, I think, bar one maybe today, has a band camp. Um, I assume, is, is, is band camp like the only option, or it's just the, the absolutely the best option is where everyone is because they treat people the best, or it's the easiest to use? Or uh, Yeah, it is really easy to use. They've got really great analytics. Um, when it comes to figuring out who's buying your stuff and um, how many people, how much money you've made across a certain period of time. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, there's a, I believe it's called DistroKid, which is a, a service that will actually take care of a lot of different um, music outlets for you. Get it up on iTunes, get it up on Bandcamp and a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, obviously, proliferating your music as as far as you can is a good thing um but most people know that they can find a lot of uh, this indie stuff on bandcamp mm. it's a really easy way to buy yeah um and it's it's interesting i mean it's obviously great vindication for us uh when the likes of yourself and uh david house and contact us to come on this podcast because mm-hmm. see one of the discussions we had early on was are we you know, are people going to be actually get the hump about us uh, playing right. the tracks and basically, you know, kind of giving them out, giving them away? But I think the the feeling I get is that um, because it's all done with a positive spin in a promotional way, of course, um, that people are people are happy to have um, the exposure as much as we can give them. Although we'll see if we ever get really big, we'll see if the big studios and uh, and the likes of Nintendo are saying, oh, it's fine, just yeah, just play you play our mario tunes and <laughs> we don't care yeah um, i can't see there being too much backlash for something like that like you said it's in a promotional standpoint and which is a good thing i mean it's funny i think within two weeks of runbow being out mm-hmm. uh, on Bandcamp, it was already um posted for free on youtube yeah right it always, it always is yeah, yeah it, it always is and it, you know there's multiple ways to look at that i look at that it's kind of flattering you know what I mean? It's like yeah. lots of people, all, all the best scores end up get, getting on YouTube at some point. So it means that people like it and people want to listen to it. Yeah. And in my opinion, all music should be free for mm-hmm. people to hear. Mm. At the same time, it's a double-edged sword because you got to support the people who make it so that they can continue to make it. Yeah. Um, but music in general, you know, I, I think it's I think what you're doing with the podcast, so you guys are doing is excellent. Oh, thank you. No problem. Yeah. Now, another selection uh, you've brought for us um, is uh, a very pretty track indeed um, called Stay a While and Listen. Mm-hmm. This is from a game, again, I must admit, I'm not familiar with. It's an iOS uh, Android game, which is not where I do most of my playing, but uh, it's a game called Titans. And the, the track here is by Maggie McLean. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's a, it, should I? Elaborate on that. Yes, please do. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really a beautiful piece of music. It's just light and delicate. Simply just sort of floats along like a feather. She managed to capture that Renaissance period in a really natural way, but it has this hint of sort of a Thomas Newman esque like piano accompaniment in the beginning. And mm-hmm. you kind of get my uh, reference there, and it just sort of tugs your ear before you hear that main theme. And yeah, just. 
I thought this was a really strong piece by her, so I wanted to feature it. Stay a while and listen. And we did by Maggie McLean. That's from Titans uh, by Uken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's Uken. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll go with Uken. Yeah, we'll go with Uken. And uh, that is available on yeah, uh, the Apple and Android marketplaces, presumably now. And Maggie McLean. Uh, hopefully, we'll hear more of her. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at MJ and McLean. Uh, and she also has a Bandcamp, Maggie McLean. Good stuff. Um, you're composing, uh, we're hearing from some of your, your contemporaries and peers here. Um, mm. are there any of the sort of, uh, the great, uh, the, the really famous, uh, game composers, uh, who you are particularly, um, in awe of or a fan of, uh, some of the, the, the more household names? Yeah. I mean, my video game playing experience growing up was largely RPG based. You know, uh, I, when I got a Super Nintendo, I played Zelda, Link to the Past. And then everything after that was like, I love RPGs. I want to play them all. <laughs> so obviously Nobuo Yumetsu and, 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 you know, Koji Kondu, like you can't, these guys, they're just, they wrote melodies that you can't, even people who don't play games know them. They're, they're just ingrained into um, society. They just know these melodies. Um, and then, you know, games like Chrono Cross and whatnot, Xenogears, uh, Yasunori, Mitsuda. Um, yeah, it's just, I played all the Final Fantasy games. It was just largely based on RPGs. I just hunted them out, anything I could find to play. Um, I was a big Uncharted series fan too so greg edmondson like all of his music mm. you know amazing thing it, that. oh instantly compelling yeah. you know what i mean just really helped the whole experience of an already amazing game um but you know as far as video game music goes obviously you know those guys are are big for me uh, but my favorite composers in general which inform a lot of what i do uh include uh bernard herman he's one of my favorites oh taxi driver score oh my god forget about it i was listening to it last week you know and that that sybil shepherd that uh, that's just uh such a great melody and i think he passed away like right after that 
Yeah, I think that's right. He possibly ha- hadn't even uh, it hadn't the film hadn't come out possibly before he died. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he was he was a huge influence. I mm. uh, just love his music, and Jan Tiersen. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, for I mean, sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, just he just had a really nice him and and like Sufjan Stevens too. Both oh, of those yeah. guys. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, they have really great way of creating that minimalist vibe. You know, you can kind of hear like the Philip Glass in, yeah. in some of their writing, right? Where it's just there's these repetitive yeah, the instrumentals of Sufjan Stevens. Exactly. Yeah, you, there's this repetitive with all the woodwinds and mallets and whatnot, and this repetitive vibe that that he can build up. It has this minimalist feeling. And he's a great songwriter too. Oh yeah, so, so I would think uh, Casimir Pulaski Day is one of the most heartbreaking songs ever written for oh, the uh, Illinois album. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I love um, the Bees of the Palisades or Out mm. to get, get Us or something like that. That one. He's got some super long titles. It's hard to remember the title. <laughs> yeah, me, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, good stuff. Uh, yeah, when we talked, uh, we had David Housen on recently, uh, composer of uh, Volume and uh, Thomas Was Alone, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, we, we were talking about uh, his um, sort of method uh, in terms of combining organic, uh, you know, real instruments with, um, with obviously, you know, you guys use a lot of software, a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. synthesized stuff. Um, and that can be for a number of reasons, whether it be convenience or budget or, or whatever. Um, and you've already said that you've, uh, you know, you've used some real instruments. Um, you're a multi-instrumentalist yourself, so you can play most of the things you want to be able to play on a track. Is that fair? Yeah, except for winds. Okay. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much I can play most string instruments, keyboard instruments, um, but yeah, winds elude me completely. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, my grand, the aforementioned granddad who played uh-huh. the piano was a was a clarinetist in the um, uh, in the forces army back in the oh, right uh, World War Two, and he he uh, he said that playing a reed instrument was incredibly difficult compared to playing <laughs> a keyboard. Yeah, um, it's just really you know it's just very demanding on your on your mouth and lips and yeah <laughs> and lungs. The asthma lungs, doesn't help yeah. that much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. If you're if you're writing a piece for a game, uh, how do you decide whether you're going to use? Obviously, you've got these incredibly authentic sounding and powerful pieces of software uh, that you can use now. But when do you decide? Well, actually, I'm going to play this. I'm going to play these strings over, you know, over and over again and relayer them. Is it a factor of time or the sound that you want? Or well, yeah, that's a good point. I mean. I know a lot of composers who, where time is a factor, where, you know, they'd rather play the guitar part on a keyboard mm-hmm. because it, it's annoying to set up the microphone and, and hook up the amp and grab the guitar yeah. and tune it up and all the rest of it. So, like, my studio is definitely organized in, a, in the best possible way to eliminate that issue. I've got mics permanently set up in front of an amplifier and in front of um, a little corner where I can play uh, the acoustic instruments and whatnot. A stereo pair of condensers and a large diaphragm condenser that's permanently hooked up and ready to go at a moment's notice. And that's really important. It, It makes, you know, I don't have any guitar amp simulators and guitar amp sample libraries or mandolin or ukulele sample libraries on my computer because I'd much rather perform that part. Right. 
Yeah, definitely. So, so they should sound more. Uh, we should hear be hearing that organic, that authentic quality in in your work. Yes, somebody who uses uh, purely electronica. Right, right, and it, it's really important, you know. And I, I like to take this sound, even the electronic samples that I create inside the box. I like to take them outside the box and run them through um, various, um, you know, color before I and re-record them back inside just just to get them out of the zeros in one you know realm yeah. for a little bit yeah sure now next up uh, you've brought another track from a game called Fate Tectonics which looks really cool it's yeah. looks like uh, it's like a, a god game like a popular style game but with a, a sort of pixel art Japanese 16-bit sensibility yeah, yeah it's a really cool game yeah, um, very positive reviews on Steam, I noticed, which is where it's available. It's a, it's a new game as well, another really recent game from Golden Gear, um, mm-hmm. published by Toy Temp. Um, but the track here is the important thing for sound of play, and this is called Waters, brackets Serenity, and it's by uh, somebody called Robbie Duguay. It's, yeah, it's uh, Duguay. 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 I actually specifically called him and asked him how to pronounce his last name just oh, so that I wouldn't mess it up. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad you brought that because it's something that really, I, I really hate making those mistakes. Yeah, no, Thank totally. You. Me too. Um, yeah, Water Serenity. It's, uh, it's a great, like, I mean, he has this retro sensibility in his sonic palette, you know. Mm. Um, I love the way his music transports me back to like I said before, being a kid playing those RPGs. If you close your eyes, you can almost feel like you're in your room playing those old SNES, uh, you know, Chrono Trigger, Secret of Mana, or Final Fantasy, or something like that. Uh, his his sort of sonic palette is sort of right in that realm. I mean, he doesn't. That's not exclusively what he does by any means, but he is really good at that in particular. I think Secret of Mana is possibly still my favorite uh, video game soundtrack of all time. Oh yeah, um, uh, it's it's just it still just blows me away every time I hear it. Um, and I've been, you know, I've been listening to it since it came out really 20 years ago. It's just... Uh, totally. I have a really strong connection with that game also. Yeah. It's an awesome playing experience. Yeah, absolutely. Magical game. And um, yeah, that was a, a game that had uh, local co-op that a lot of people probably didn't use because it's such a weird game to have local co-op because mm-hmm. of a 50-hour RPG. Yeah. <laughs> actually, it was a lot of fun if you did have a, you know, a regular gaming partner or, or a real-life partner to sit down and, and play through that game because it had real-time combat rather than the turn-based combat of, say, the Final Fantasy games. Exactly. Um, oh, God, it was just, yeah, just a... Yeah, I played local combat with that. I def- definitely played local coach co-op with that game for sure. Fantastic. So let's hear from uh, Robbie Duguay and his uh, Waters Serenity track from Fate Tectonics.
question again to you. This is, a, this, is, this is probably something I'm going to ask every composer we have on Sound of Play because it fascinates me as somebody who has absolutely zero skill in the medium. You know, I learned a bit of trumpet when I was a kid and recorder and all that, but, and, you know, I came from a musical family, but I had no real uh, skill or, or not the um, endeavour to, uh, to mm. sit down and, and learn music. But I'm always interested with composers, whether you are somebody who takes you know takes a a, a sheet of uh, blank music paper or whatever what's it what's it called where it's got the treble clef the staff There's, that's it yeah. <laughs> uh, and you go all oh, right well i'm you know i'm writing for this type of thing so i'll you know i'll put this note here because that will sound like that um right. I, I i realize probably most people don't do that but um <laughs> uh whether it's like uh you just you know you sit at a keyboard or sit with a guitar and just play until something sounds right yeah i mean for me it's definitely, I definitely don't get on the computer right away. Mm. Uh, I don't like to have the MIDI keyboard and a blank uh, session in front of me when I'm trying to come up with the, oh, sorry. <laughs> no worries. When I'm trying to come up with the musical idea for the game or for any project I'm working on. For me, it's mostly about getting in front of the piano, which isn't my main instrument, mm. but I'll sit in front of the piano and I'll start banging out some harmony and I need to have my hook in my head before I sit down at the computer and start producing the track. It's really important for me to have that together first because, you know, something that comes out of my fingers on the MIDI keyboard is never going to be as good as something that um, came just from my own sort of musical sensibility through my, uh, just through my mind and my own sort of tonal vision. You know, if I can lay down a chord chord progression and that melody can come to me from sort of the ether first as opposed to coming through my fingers on a, a you know pizzicato patch on the, on my keyboard on my computer um i find the materials always a lot stronger that way i see uh from the the pictures uh, that have been uh, of you that have been included in reviews you have uh, you know you have like a wall of uh, of string instruments you've got banjos and ukuleles and various right. guitars, yeah. <laughs> mandolins and lutes and goodness knows what else there things i don't recognize um and you've also got what looks like um assuming this is these pictures are in your real studio hmm. you've got some really sort of um almost retro looking like amps and stuff like that is that a, is that a deliberate choice for the sound they give or yes just that's how they look because it's cool <laughs> no definitely it, it definitely is my real studio i'm happen to be sitting in it right now <laughs> yeah. and i'm looking over and yeah no there's uh it's definitely for the sound, especially that blue Supro Corsica amp. Uh-huh. It's a really great, it's got just this jangly sound and the reverb is, it's a spring reverb, but it's kind of, kind of dead sounding and rusty sounding if you, mm. could, if, uh, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's got a tremolo on it, which again, it's just kind of, it's grainy. You know, it's got a lot of character to it, which I really like. Um, but yeah, they, they each have sort of their own tonal qualities. And, you, you know, in, in Adland, you're called upon to do a lot of different styles. So, you know, I'll use that for like a classic rock sound. I've also got a Vox, which I like for that. If I'm doing metal, I've got this this Fayez amp that's really, really grimy for that. Um, all, all my blues and rock is through the Fender Deluxe. 
And yeah, I mean, they all have their own tonal characteristics and the same with guitars, right? Like, uh, you know, if I need something funky, I'm going to bust out my Strat. And if I need something jazzy, I'm going to bust out my Tele that has a classic 57 humbucker in the neck position. And it just has that really warm tone. So uh, yeah, it's, it's always a constant, um, I mean, I'm not a full-blown gearhead or anything like that, right, right. but I know what I, I know the sounds that I want and uh, it's, you know, you just, you need the right tools to make those sounds, right? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, the next piece uh, you've brought, uh, one of yours. Um, now this, I, I, I would suspect, uh, having heard it, is probably um, sort of more informed by the fact that you also studied at uh, the Berkeley College of Music uh, with film scoring, um, right, and you focused on video game music, but um, this this piece that's coming up sounds to me more cinematic, more um, you know. It, it, this is for a militaristic game, Supreme Ruler, nineteen thirty six, and it's got this very sort of um, you know, uh, yeah, sort of harsh militaristic but orchestral uh, sound. So this is must be a presumably very different um, process to you know sitting down with with one of your uh, your your lutes or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> doing some jazz uh, noodling or something like that. No, definitely. I mean, this like the theme for this one came from me just no instrument, no nothing, just mm. coming up with it in my head first on a walk, you know. Yeah. Um and it's in 7/8 mostly, right? That mm. the, the time signature is 7/8 mm. and that doesn't usually come across when I have a 4/4 four, four click happening on my computer and I'm trying to write something to it. It, it, you know, more interesting ideas like that, more angular ideas come when I'm uh, away from all of those, uh, all of those things that guide my musical decisions. Another thing uh, that I've, I'm always interested talking to any creative really, but is the how do you go about composing a piece like this? Uh, you know, there have been a ton of militaristic games over mm-hmm. years. There have been a ton of films with similar content. You're, you're writing a march, ruler's march for mm-hmm. the game. Mm-hmm. How do you write a march that's never been written before? Well, that's, I mean, doing it in seven, eight does help, you know, yeah, try, sure. try to change, signature, yeah. yeah, trying to change that up. Um, I actually used big military stomps. So I actually tried to incorporate um, a degree of sound design into this, hmm. which was important. I mean, when I talked to the guys at uh, Battle Goat, they were they're really concerned with uh, authenticity, right? So we started with referencing uh, legitimate uh, wartime music. Um, the issue with that was that a lot of it was pretty um, optimistic. And, you know, we're going off to war and it's, it's a, it's, it's a good thing. Let's ramp up the troops and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But what they wanted for the main theme was something that had more tension, something that was uh, darker. Um, So to get that, you know, we're off to war thing, I I used a very heavy stomps as a percussive element in the track. And it also had to have a certain amount of espionage in there too, which you could kind of hear by the by the woodwind, the longer woodwind layers that happen on top. Um, yeah, it's, you know, just trying to create that sense of forward motion and also not specifically referencing anything that's already been done um, in terms of uh, our game music that's already been done. Mm. I, I get that a lot in advertising, right? Like, yeah. 
uh, pretty much every ad that comes in has some form of temp music on there that right. that they already really like and it it makes things difficult because I'm not that guy who's going to go in and and rip it off because that's not what people pay me to do right, right. <laughs> they're they're paying me for original music so um oftentimes when somebody's fully in love with a temp it's it's very difficult so in my game music i i try just to use um the musical sort of sensibilities that i've developed over the years and it, you know if we need to uh you know at the very beginning stages we may reference some stuff just to sort of get into the feel mm. Um, but yeah, when, when, uh, your people you're working for have temp love, it gets, uh, really difficult. <laughs> temp love in the office where I used to work meant a whole different thing. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, let's try to listen out for, for all these aspects that, uh, Dan's just, uh, told us to listen out for on Ruler's March. stuff as i always like to say after uh, after stompy militaristic tracks um <laughs> yeah there's a sequel to that game as well isn't there supreme ruler um or a follow-up a sort of um wintry iron curtain type of thing yeah they have they have i mean it's a whole franchise they've got a number yeah. of of titles out there and um they're really like i said before really into keeping things as accurate as as possible authenticity yeah. is key with the uh, battle goat yeah, it's obviously it's a very niche market, but um, yes. you know we have a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, very um, you know enthusiast game players with with broad and eclectic tastes. Mm -hmm. so there's nothing to stop people checking out a slightly obscure uh, Steam um, War game. Why Check not? it out. Check it out. Why not? What's, what do you got to lose? What do you got to lose? And it's got a great soundtrack. <laughs> um, now this next one, uh, this is a game that I've been meaning to pick up. I've I've been watching videos, and uh, the only thing that's put me off so far is the fact that. Although I am a great advocate and uh, and long time uh, partaker of of local co-op, 
Um, it's just harder to do these days. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fully grown adult in my 40s. Um, I don't often have two or three friends around to play. But when I do, I think next time that happens, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time will be, mm. I'll, I'll download it especially, you know, to, to, to party on that game because it looks like it looks like a real laugh. And this track that you've brought us from uh, Ryan Haywood is, is an absolute cracker, I think. Oh yeah, he's he's a sonic wizard for sure. Yeah, yeah and you're right. It's it's a great game. I, I mean, you can actually play it by yourself as well. Sure, uh, yeah. sure. But uh, but it's definitely more fun with two people. Yeah. Um, and this track's called Crystal Sea. And again, we're 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 moving into the realms of of dance. But there's a lot of stuff going on in this track, isn't there? Is is, is it the sort of the complexity of this track that that means you enjoy it so much, or is it the pure? the pure uh, balls out um, fun of it. Yeah, that that's it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a really innovative game and his score just, it freaks me out. He's got, he's just a bit of a sonic wizard. You notice right from the beginning of, of the track, it's in the intense way that it builds. It's high octane energy, ear candy right from beat one. You know what I mean? It just, it gives the game a lot of extra impact. You know, and the whole thing is, uh, the whole game is about a battle between love and anti-love and he, the way he expresses it in the music just adds a lot of depth to this game. And like I said, he's, his sonic chops with synthesizers and the ability to create really dynamic, interesting sounds, I mean, that, that, that thing, that whole thing of ear candy really does... Uh, say it nicely just every track on the album has something like i've listened to the whole thing and i'm just like whoa how did you do that how did you do that one you know what i mean i gotta get together with ryan and have some talk some shop at some point <laughs> all right let's hear it crystal sea by ryan haywood cool
Arthur. That is from Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time by Asteroid Base. And, and that's another really recent release. Uh, just in the last couple of months, That's uh, you can play that on Xbox One or PC or Mac. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's something I intend to do. Uh, Ryan is available on Twitter as well, at Deep Roots Sound. And he also has a band camp. Uh, apparently spelt Ryan Henwood on... Is that right? Yeah, he, Ryan Henwood, yeah. Henwood. Why have I got Ryan Haywood here? Oh. <laughs> Ryan Henwood. Yeah, that's the name. Sorry, Ryan. Deep root sound, yeah. Uh, one day I'll be embarrassed about that. <laughs> Talking about admiring uh, your peers, contemporaries, friends, uh, and other composers, um, do you, like, uh, not to psychoanalyze you or mm-hmm. to get too deep, but do you uh, ever have that thing that most people who try to do anything creative do, which is, well, that's so good, I might as well give up? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, no, that doesn't, that doesn't happen you, to me. You shouldn't. But... <laughs> um, you know, there's there's one guitar player in particular, and every time I see him play, I'm just like, uh, yeah, maybe I should learn to play better piano. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, his name's Kevin Bright, and he's just ridiculous. Um, but but no, in the composing realm, I mean, I've I've faced a lot of, I guess you could say, competition. I mean, when I was in house writing for advertising and television, um, there was four of us, and everybody's writing for the same project and everybody's looking to land that particular gig. Um, but we never, we never felt a, a sense of like a competitive sense with one another. We were always mm. just really good friends, go out and have, have lunch, have beers, hang out after work. You know, there was never a sense of, Oh, you landed that and I wanted it or something like that. It's, yeah. it's really a co- cooperative thing. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I was actually roommates with one of the guys and this guy was prolific his name's James McLeod and he goes in Toronto, he goes by the name wide eyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and he plays a lot of electronic gigs and whatnot. Um, but yeah, he, every night after we got home from work, he would be slugging away, writing his own material all the time. He was nonstop. And I learned a lot. It informed a lot of what I do in the electronic realm. And a lot of what you hear on, um, Runbo, you know, was informed by stuff that I heard him doing, right? So I really enjoy listening to strong music by my, you know, peers because it makes me stronger. Excellent stuff. Uh, by the by, this is completely by the by. Did I imagine it or when you emailed me the other day, did you say you were working at a children's party? Oh, working a children's party. Uh, <laughs> uh, Did I imagine that? <laughs> uh, well, I am working on a children's show at the moment. Oh, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's um, a show for young children about getting up and moving around and stuff. Oh, okay. I, uh, yeah, those gigs, they... I've sort of built a little bit of a name for myself in the city for being able to write songs, like children's songs for these shows. So uh, they okay. pop up quite often. I see composing for that and also um would people have um would be people be familiar obviously you know this goes out we're, we're mainly uk based but we do have uh, listeners in uh, around the world what what sort of uh, adverts have you composed for that people might uh, might be familiar with if you're able to say um yeah well, well there's been more than i can recall um but but i know in the uk i've had um a bunch of tropicana ads that that played okay. a lot in the uk um yeah yeah just uh i think one with a little kid swerping on an orange or something like that okay. uh, but there's been you know gatorade and volkswagen and uh tons of different um advertisements over the years red bull um 
yeah, a bit of a, you know, a drink specialist. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of drinks, lots of yeah, lots of alcohol, lots of cars, <laughs> lots of laundry detergent, you know, lots of fast food, that kind of stuff. But um, I really enjoy that industry, named mainly because the turnarounds are so quick. So it's not, it, it's the kind of gig where you can, um, you're always getting a refresh in the palate and, and the, uh, the job at hand. So going back to what we had talked about before about just having the ability to write in a lot of different styles, it really helped me for advertising, you know, cause one day you're writing a hip hop track and the next day it's a bossa nova. And then the next day you're writing something that sounds kind of like, you know, pomp and circumstance. Yeah. And it's, it's really, really quite um, I just really enjoy the challenge. It's really all over the place. I don't think anyone would deny the the sort of artistry and skill that goes into writing, a, you know, a hook, a real earworm for an advert either. Um, you know, they might drive you mad sometimes, but... That's a very good point, yeah, because every... Pretty much the job of an ad writer is to write the best 30 seconds of a song. Mm. You know, you got to write that hook and you got to write it over and over again. And... Uh, it, you know, a lot, a lot of advertisers, a lot of the agencies, they don't want like a button ending on the commercials. Mm. They want the ending to kind of feel like it continues on with a short fade. Um, yeah. Generally, yeah. like there's been a number of occasions where I came across an ad that I worked on on YouTube or something. And a lot of the comments are, oh, where can I find this track mm. or who wrote this song or whatever? Because they get the sense that it continues on and that it's part of a bigger piece. Right. But actually, yeah. it's only 30 seconds, you know. There are uh, there are internet sites dedicated to saying what songs are on what adverts, and obviously there's a real mixture these days. Um, there are sometimes it will be an original, uh, mm -hmm. sorry, an, an old pop song repurposed. Sometimes right. it will be the original version. Sometimes it will be a, a very close cover version. Right. Um, right. Then you've got stuff like yeah, that are completely uh, bespoke jingles and stuff like that. And there are websites which list you know all the artists and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and uh, the, 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 there's a real trend over here at the moment. I don't know if this is true elsewhere, but in the UK, the most common thing on advert is take an old uh, pop song, uh, maybe something that's quite um, sort of uh, bombastic and emotional, mm -hmm. and do a, a breathy acoustic cover with a female vocalist. <laughs> That is the most common kind of advert music in this country at the moment, and it's a it's a, quite a cliche now. Yeah, a little bit irritating, and it's no good for the likes of you because it's no you know there's no there's no composition. It's just somebody else's stuff being covered in an annoying fashion. Yeah, we've definitely had to do a bunch of those in the past, um, where the agency will license you know the the rights to use the the track. Oh, okay, and you actually play the you might play the music for the cover version, right? And then you create uh, you create the cover version and get a vocalist in and whatnot okay so it doesn't completely yeah i suppose that's true of course it doesn't completely rule out the uh your your role in something right right yeah but i agree it's uh <laughs> you know it's a little overdone yeah okay well we're wildly off remit here that's uh tv advertising <laughs> back to video games what i want to do is uh just plug a few things of our own then we'll plug some things of yours and then we'll finish with uh, another track from rumbo so um for our listeners remember um that uh, as i mentioned earlier we've done some stuff with quite a lot of stuff with canadians recently we've got uh three t uh, text interviews under the question block banner uh toronto with uh, dames making games jim munro and the hand eye society and Ken Reeves Gow of To The Moon fame. Uh, they're all on canerince.com, as is 
the podcast special interview with Dennis Dyack. That's over three hours with the divisive and controversial figure of Dennis Dyack, and it's absolutely fascinating. He's incredibly honest, um, and uh, he talks all about everything from the earliest days of Silicon Knights all the way through his relationships with Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, and uh, even the failed Kickstarters and um, the, the, the quality of the last Silicon Knights game, X-Men Destiny, um, and, he, and he approaches it all full on. And uh, thanks to him for contacting us on that. As I said, uh, Sound of Play 23 featured uh, David Housden of uh, Thomas Was Alone and Volume. And uh, the last Sound of Play 25 uh, included Insane in the Rain and some of his tracks and some pics from him. But remember, Sound of Play ain't just about what we like. So do venture over to our forum at canarince.com where you can request your favourites. And we'll continue to include a selection of those in the playlist for the regular show. Uh, and that is, if you want us to play something in particular, be it uh, odd, quirky, brilliant or hilariously terrible, as long as it's not a straight licensed track, uh, hit the Sound of Play submissions thread up right now and get it requested. Please leave us uh, Sound of Play an iTunes review. Uh, also check out Cader Rince, the main podcast. And incredibly uh, grateful to Dan, thanking you for contacting us, the perfect guest who, uh, <laughs> who contacts us out of the blue and says, can I come on your show? Of course you can. It is my uh, pleasure. <laughs> oh, and uh, you are to be found on Twitter at Composing Dan, mm-hmm. uh, because that's what you do. You have a, a homepage, danrodriguez.ca. Uh, and that's got uh, yeah, a whole portfolio, shows, shows uh, a lot of the work that you've done, short films, adverts and, and all that sort of thing. Um, the uh, Rumbo soundtrack is available on Bandcamp, but it's 13am Games Bandcamp, is that right? That's right, that's right. Yeah, they're the publisher of the soundtrack. Yeah, okay. Do you have your own Bandcamp? You- um, I don't at the moment, actually. Okay. Do not. No worries. Yeah. All right, you plug that <laughs> um, So, before we go, uh, just tell us uh, a little bit about uh, what went into Two Feet and a Heartbeat. That's, yeah, that's probably my favorite track on the uh, on the entire um, OST. It's just, it was a lot of fun to write. I remember Dave Proctor, he's the audio director at 13 AM. Um, he said, I want the horn section to feel like they're going to pass out by the end of the track. <laughs> I should, they should all be red in the face, completely exhausted and, and possibly dry heaving. <laughs> sort of thing James Brown would have said to his yeah, horn section. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what he wanted. So, so that's what I tried to go for in this track is a, it's just high octane saxophones that are probably, I mean, it was the whole saxophone part was sampled from, my uh, from the other composition that I did on the OST called A Scroll in the Park. So I took that and sped it right up and chopped it into a million pieces and created this remix out of it. And so if a saxophone section tried to play it, they probably would fall. <laughs> right. So you didn't play this yourself? I, I did not. Well, I played I played the um, the saxophone part. It's actually a sample library um, for this one called sample modeling i believe the company is called mm-hmm. and they create a saxophone that's playable on the keyboard that sounds yeah. really great um it's but no one will asphyxiate in the process exactly and it's tweakable it's heavily tweakable so you can get a certain amount of growl and a certain amount of dynamic and vibrato on every single pitch and uh, over the course of the pitch and it's really quite something so um it, it and it's really great to cut all that stuff up and remix it um i guess my favorite part and this is probably the baseline. Do you ever listen to um, Yoko Kano's work on Cowboy Bebop? 
I'm not familiar, no. Yeah, the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack was great. And it had it started with this opening bass line that just it was really floppy and, and you could hear the, the, the strings just jangling. Loose strings. Yeah, yeah, really loose strings. Um, unlike any upright bass sound I had ever really heard before. It's usually a bit of a tighter sound. Um, so I used a sample library to create the baseline and then I was just like, you know, this is a little, it's a little stale. It's just not really doing what I want it to do. So I grabbed my acoustic guitar and detuned the low E string until it was as floppy and jangly as I could and doubled that same baseline and just kind of glued them together with some compression. And it really created that super floppy, very character driven baseline, which, uh, which is not necessarily the feature of the track, but you can definitely hear it, and it's probably my favorite part. Excellent. Well, we'll leave our listeners uh, grooving along to that, listening out for that floppy bass with uh, two feet and a heartbeat. And uh, thank you once again for joining us, Dan Rodriguez. Thank you very much, Leon. Much appreciated. (laughs) 